And so, church family, we are the carriers of that hope because we have the words from God, words of love and grace. And I'm going to ask your uh, invitation to pray with me as we just ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Uh, Heavenly Father, you uh, said there's a reason why you send your word and you will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. And so accomplish that purpose in our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are times where we go to places to hear only what we want to hear. For example, we might be in the midst of a big decision, and let's say it is to purchase something, and we know what friend to call that will tell us to buy that thing. And if that's what we want to hear, that's who we call, right? Let's say we want to go traveling someplace, and we know someone who's been to that place we're considering, and they've had a blast. And if you want confirmation on whether to go there or not, you just give them a call and ask them about the trip. They'll probably tell you to do that thing. If you ever need rationale on why to remodel, just watch HGTV, right? That's where you need to go. Because whenever I watch Love It or List It, I'm always amazed that whenever they love it, the house, of the, 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 the house price when they invest in it always goes up. Which makes me scratch my head, because I'm not thinking that's always the case. But, but if you need rationale on why to remodel, go, go watch those shows. You'll, you'll hear exactly what you want to hear. And isn't it true you can navigate not only relationships but media and turn on different channels to hear only what you want to hear? And that's what we see people doing. And while this might be a common approach, let me just ask you, is it the wisest approach only to hear what you want to hear? To never be challenged. To never be told there's a better way or that you're wrong. Let me share with you a proverb. I love the book of Proverbs, and and this is one. It says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So what does this mean? That you can be a fool without knowing it if you do not seek advice. If all you want to do is hear and confirm your own biases, it could lead to a lot of foolishness in your life. And on the other side, what if you're that friend? That person is calling you to just get confirmation. You sometimes have that sense that they don't actually want your advice, they just want a yes. Have you ever been in this uh, side of the phone? But let me ask you this. Can you truly love someone by telling them only what they want to hear. Let's create a teenage scenario. Let's say there is a teenager working part-time at Walmart, wants to buy a $40,000 Toyota Supra. Now, it's a really cool car, and that's a great choice. Um, but, but if he's asking for your financial advice, would it be wise to tell him, yeah, I, I think you can afford that car? No. <laughs> what if parents took this approach? Never corrected, never gave advice. I think they made a movie of this. It was called Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. (laughs) He had a stinky boy wearing whatever he wanted. If parents never corrected you to have ice cream for supper, uh, never have showers, and no one would ever do their homework, we would never grow up and it'd be Peter Pan world. So no, you, you can't love someone without telling them the honest truth. And here's more Proverbs over that. Later it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. When I tell that high schooler, maybe you shouldn't buy the Supra, that might wound you in the moment. But can you trust that advice? Absolutely. 
An enemy multiplies kisses. You know what an enemy does? Hey, when you buy it, I'm the first to get a ride. Let's have some fun. We're going to be the coolest cats in school. That's an enemy. Doesn't care about you. Just cares about themselves. In the same chapter, look what also it says. The pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. So if, if you want to be truly a good friend to someone, you pour out your heart and try to help them with, with what's found there. And because of this, we have our first takeaway, which is that you cannot avoid danger without listening to wise counsel. I believe at one point or another, you're going to have to get some advice that doesn't come from yourself in order to guide you through this life, fraught with pitfalls. And that's why I love gathering in this place. Because here we have the wisdom of the ages. Wisdom that will never turn out wrong. Wisdom not from a pastor or a church body, but as we turn to the word, wisdom from God, the eternal, everlasting, omniscient, knows everything God. And yet, friends, you know something about Christianity today? I have a hunch that what people are doing with their friends to hear only what they want to hear is sometimes what's happening in Christian circles where they go to God to hear only what they want to hear. Let me give you an example. I have this discussion about reading the Bible because I, I tell people to read the Bible. You ever heard read your Bible while you're here? You have again. Read your Bible. <laughs> and sometimes the conversation I have is this, Pastor, do I really have to read the Old Testament? Like, I really love Jesus and the New Testament. Like, he seems like the happy, happy God, but the Old Testament God, I just don't understand. Can, can we just, like, do away with that and move on? You ever been there? Or what about this? I know Christians who so love the promises of glory. And they're great promises, don't get me wrong. Promises like Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope. Or he works everything out for the good of those who love him. And we love the promises of glory. But what about the counsel of the cross? Where Jesus says, if you follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your own cross, and follow me. What about the cross that says, in this world you're going to have trouble. Make no mistake about it, this isn't heaven on earth. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Did you know as a pastor I was warned that, that sometimes in Christian circles we would get this way? When Paul was talking to a young pastor named Timothy, he warned him of, of the age. Uh, look at what he said. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. A case could be made that we're in that time where Christians go from source to source to just confirm their already assumed bias rather than being honest and letting the word inform and advise and counsel. And so one of the great principles I picked up at seminary is that I can't just tell you some truth, I got to tell you the whole of it. And when I look over uh, preaching, by the way, I've looked over the areas that we've covered. 
uh, whether it be areas uh, that we consider from the catechism or people that we've done in the summertime, um, we, we try to preach what's called the whole counsel of God, not trying to avoid any one subject, but beneficially giving you all of it. And the reason that all of it is beneficial is that it leads us away from danger zones. That just as people, we have blind spots that are exposed by a friend, so also spiritually we'll have blind spots unless the word exposes what we need to hear. And so we pick up this series called Danger Zone. And there are danger zones in this world. It was about a year ago that we took a mission journey to the Ukraine. And uh, we flew to Kiev, and uh, by Kiev is Chernobyl. Do you remember Chernobyl? And uh, we were saying to the bishop, you know, maybe we should go visit Chernobyl. What do you think? <laughs> Never forget his reaction. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? <laughs> he didn't say that, but that was the, the face. Because um, he remembers when his brother was stationed nearby Chernobyl, when it was melting down. Um, and the radiation levels were bad, and, and the brother was fine, but like, why, why would you uh, want to go to a potential danger zone? Don't get it. Uh, th there are danger zones, not only uh, Chernobyl, uh, here's a picture, uh, but California. You see the orange skies there? And because it's such a danger zone because of the fires, uh, you might have seen there's a ton of evacuation going on. Uh, don't stay there. Uh, protect yourself. Get out of the danger zone. We're familiar with danger zones as we watch the news, uh, whether it be in Portland and certain pockets of protesting that, uh, again, fireworks going off and it's kind of crazy right now. And if you've lived in the Chicago area, I don't know if you've had someone out of state ever be like, are you okay? Did you hear what happened in Chicago? But we're like, no, no, there's a danger zone, but I'm not, I'm not in it. We're familiar with danger zones, right? And just as there are physically, so there are spiritually. And God would counsel us. And the reason we're in this series is so that if we ever approach a danger zone, we're like, ah, I got to get out of here. I got to run away. God warned me about this place. And we warn others as well. And so we're going to get into um, a teaching from Hebrews. And i got to tell you, as far as the law goes, this is the most fierce law in the whole of the Bible. At the same time, we feel the pleasantness of God through his heartfelt advice to us. That by receiving the love behind the word, we can be guided out of danger zones and into a better relationship with God as we receive this word. One of the reasons that I'm teaching on it, and I've shared it with our staff and also with our leadership team, and they both walked away saying, man, that's a rare word, but it was so good. And that's what I'm hoping you'll experience. This may be a rare word that Christians are not talking about, but it is so good and needed. You ready for it? You with me? So I'm going to invite you to stand as we hear the word of God. And we do this in honor of his wisdom, uh, knowing that he's going to guide us today. Our lesson is from Hebrews. The context is Jesus is the sacrifice for all sins, but beware of this danger zone. Hebrews chapter 10. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who has rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, 
who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know whom said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These are the words we're going to explore, but we're going to explore them with the grace of God. Uh, could you remind your neighbor, God's love is not common, it's extraordinary. Can you say that? God's love is not common, it's extraordinary. Please be seated. As a pastor, it's my privilege to meet with people. And now in the course of 12 years, I've probably met with thousands of people. And maybe I've had a one-on-one with you at a time, uh, whether it be for premarital, whether it be um, in marriage, whether it be new member, welcome. Um, I I love doing it. I will never forget, though, in the thousands of one-on-ones, a very specific one I had with a young adult. This young adult had been raised in the Christian faith had gone to a Christian day school and a Christian high school, and in college avoided the word. In college surrounded themselves by um, the voices of the world and stopped going to the church and stopped reading the Bible. And the reason I had this one-on-one that day is because this individual was no longer struggling with a sin, but from all evidence had given into a sin. Now to clarify... If you're struggling with sin right now, and if you're in that point right now, welcome to the club. We are all on planet Earth struggling with sin. We are all works in progress. But that is different than where this person was. This person had given in, was not fighting, but rather wanted to continue in it. And as I had a chance to meet with this person... I didn't ask if he thought this was wrong or not. I thought there was a better question to ask. And that was this. How is your relationship with God? Now, after a few words of conversation, I learned that his current goal was to live life to the fullest and leave a legacy. And I didn't hear anything about God. And from what it seemed and I can't judge the heart, is that he didn't really care what God thought. He was no longer connected to God. And what I had observed is where giving yourself over to sin may lead you. While I cannot judge the heart, it seemed very clearly to me in this moment, this person was in a danger zone. For they had continued to love a sin more than they had loved a Savior. And it led them to care not or little about what the Savior thought in his life. And that leads us to our first big passage. When we are reading from Hebrews, it says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. And there might be some questions. Pastor, I thought when Jesus died on the cross, that covered every sin. You're right. I thought it covered even the worst sins, like murder and adultery and and, and all those other uh, bad, evil sins. And, And you're right. But a sacrifice for sins does not cover a sin when someone doesn't want the sacrifice. 
Does that make sense? Perhaps an analogy. Keep things light. I was wearing a white shirt this weekend. Has anyone else worn white and then thought that they're not going to make it through the day without a stain? And and I thought that mentally even as I put it on that morning. And and sure enough, um, I was driving and uh, I, I did not drive so well. I was going to a hospital visit, and um, as I was drinking coffee, there we go. Uh, Thankfully, when I got to the hospital, I just put the tag right here. (laughs) Clever, right? Um, And the good thing is that when it comes to coffee stains, um, if you have a good mom or a good solution, um, you can get a coffee stain out, right? You probably want a stain remover like Shout, right? Um, or, Or maybe OxyClean. Um, But if you work it and maybe wash it twice, Shout, OxyClean, you can get the coffee stain out. But here's how the stain will never be removed. If I say I don't need to use shout, or if I never wash the shirt, or, or, or maybe more, if I say, actually, this is an improvement to my shirt, coffee stain pastor, what do you think? And if that's my uh, concept of how to handle my shirt, then, then shout's surely not going to work if I love my shirt this way, this newly improved thing. Do you see where I'm going? Jesus' sacrifice will cover every sin better than shout. But it does not cover the stains and sins that we do not want it to cover. (laughs) Does that make sense? It cannot remove the stain that you didn't apply it to. Does that make sense? And this whole conversation reminds me of another very stern word from God called the sin against the Holy Spirit. Has anyone ever heard of the sin against the Holy Spirit? I'm just trying to think where, where, where everyone is in the church family. A few. So this is a rare word, which is why it's good to preach on it. The sin of the Holy Spirit, I remember learning um, at a young age um, from the book of Matthew. Look at this passage. It says, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Have you heard this one? I remember uh, being in grade school at the time, hearing this from a pastor. And I remember being so scared. I'm like, Dustin, please don't say anything bad about the Holy Spirit right now. Please never, ever, ever, ever say something bad about the Holy Spirit. Because you want to do what you're told not to do, right? It's like the teacher's saying, be quiet, and all you want to do is talk, right? Please, no, 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 no. But then I was so helped because the pastor said this. If you're concerned you have sinned against the Holy Spirit, you haven't. If you're concerned you did commit blasphemy against the Spirit, you didn't. Because someone who has does not care. They are uh, in unbelief, basically. They have rejected God completely. And regardless if you told them until uh, you're blue in the face that they need a sacrifice for sins, they would say to you, eh, nah. That is a danger zone, friends, which leads us to our first takeaway. You are in a danger zone when you don't care what God says. Yeah? When you don't care what God says. But I need to clarify something uh, so that you don't leave with a bound conscience unnecessarily. Some of you might be saying, but pastor, man, I keep falling into the same sins. Can you relate to that? In fact, I believe if you're an adult, you know exactly where the devil gets you. If you're an adult, you know whether it is gossip or greed, whether it is coveting or cursing, 
whether it is lying or lust, if you're an adult, I think you know exactly where the devil likes to trip you up. Amen? And if you are struggling against that sin today, welcome to the struggle bus. Oh my goodness. We are on the sin struggle bus together. And we will always say with Paul, you know what, the good I wanted to do, I didn't do it. And the evil I didn't want to do, I did it. But thanks be to God for our Savior Jesus Christ. Ah And so you can be a very healthy Christian on the sin struggle bus. But you cannot be, and you will be in a danger zone if you say, well, that's just who I am. That's just what I do. People might say it's wrong, but it's not wrong for me. When we become our own authority and stop caring about what we're doing and stop repenting, which we'll talk about, that's when you're in that danger zone. Good clarification? You with me? All right. So how do we get out of the danger zone? And what can renew our sense of peace and joy, which we have come to church to find once again? Here I need to talk a little bit about vampires, because Halloween's coming up. Vampires, when do they live? At night. When do they die? In the day. And this was immortalized by this great movie called Minions. And the Minions were looking for an evil uh, follower named Dracula, and they were celebrating his birthday, and they opened up the light, and <laughs> Dracula didn't have any more birthdays after that. To keep things light, isn't this great of what happens with sin? If I continue in my sin and I just keep it in the dark, that sin is alive. But if I bring it to the light and if I confess my sin either to God, which you can do just personally, or to another person who can remind you you're forgiven, it is then that the sin can die. And the grasp of guilt and shame over you can be released. Consider what it says in 1 John. If we confess our sins, bring it to the light. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If I'm going to preach a hard law, I need to double down on the gospel. Do you know you have purification in the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know you can have a sin that is crimson red and he's going to wash it white as snow? Do you know Jesus came because you'd get it wrong, not because you could get it right? And he has planned for your salvation since the beginning of time. He has planned it so that you would not only recognize your need for a Savior, but then receive him fully. But he did it so that you could celebrate peace is found in no other name and in no other solution than Jesus and his cross. And friends, I need to remind you, if you are in Jesus today, you have that peace in totality. You have that freedom, that release. As we confess our sins, he purifies us from all unrighteousness. And it doesn't matter your strain of sin. It's covered through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel we've come to celebrate. The gospel you receive every time you come up to the Lord's Supper. Every time I say you are forgiven. Hold on to that today. Don't drag your head today. 
hold on to it as we confess our sins and receive the purification from it. But to continue, you know, what's so common in life is that whenever we're familiar with something, we take it for granted. We, we even have a phrase for this, that familiarity breeds contempt. That the good things in our life we've grown accustomed to, um, we, we, we now look at as maybe ordinary or common. I was reminded of this uh, when I uh, turned on Facebook and I, I saw this post. Uh, maybe you've seen something like it. Love your parents and treat them with loving care, for you'll only know their value when you see their empty chair. And if you have um, a mom or a dad in, in heaven, you know what it's like to uh, miss them, uh, to miss their presence, um, to be without and say, wow, I wish I could go back and just have one more day with them. What a gift they were. You know, during COVID-19, so many things have been taken away from us that as they get introduced back, uh, we remember, wow, this is, this is pretty incredible. Um, I, I consider we had a great teen event last night, and, and there were some teens gathered, and they're like, wow, you know, it's incredible to gather with other teams playing an old school game called Capture the Flag. Um, and, uh, and I consider, I, I went to the city of Chicago this past week, and I had missed the city, friends. It's been six months. I had taken for granted the, 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 the magnificence of the buildings and the lake and the food and the it's great. Love Chicago area. And maybe you know what it is to, again, take something for granted. You know, as a Christian, the longer that we consider God's grace and we think on it and we think of his mercies, it's easier and easier to take for granted that grace. And so sometimes when Christianity goes wrong, you have Christians who go out Monday through Saturday to try to fill up their sin bucket so they have something to confess on Sunday. Right? And, and sometimes grace not only becomes, um, you know, a good thing to hear, but our license to continue in whatever is wrong because it's covered anyway. Is that what the Spirit wants? And so um, in this section, the writer of the Hebrews says this. He says, who considered insignificant or common the blood of the covenant. Beware of considering common the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because it might be familiar, but make no mistake, it is not common. It is the most extraordinary, the most beautiful, the most mind-blowing concept you can wrap your mind around. That God would give his son to death so that we could live. That God would become the curse of sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. And so we learn you're in a danger zone when you consider God's grace just a common theme. And so how do we get out again? We've talked about confessing our sins, but we also need to cover a little bit about repentance. And we get out of a danger zone by continuing this pattern of repentance. And what repentance is, it is basically saying, God, I'm so sorry. And, and when you come to the Lord, do you know, uh, saying you're sorry is one of the most beautiful things you can do when it comes to your relationship. Uh, Psalm 51 says this, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. If you come to the Lord and you just say you're sorry, he's like, that is beautiful. That's what I wanted. That's what everything was pointing to. You to recognize your need of me. And then I think of God's reaction. I think of the prodigal. If you know the story of the prodigal, he, he found the error of his sin in a, in a pig's pit. 
and he was going home to say, I'm sorry. And when he went, the father came and rushed to him and hugged him and put sandals on his feet and a ring on his feet and, and, and threw a party. And what we see also in repentance is the reaction of our father. He loves to forgive your sins. He loves that you've come home, that you've received what he planned to give, which was a feast of celebration. And he says, even angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who needs to repent. And we trust we're forgiven. But also in repentance, we choose to do it differently by the Holy Spirit. The prodigal didn't come home in order to ask the father for more money to do the same wicked things he had just done. And so we who are in Christ go to him and, and we receive for forgiveness, but then we, we go out and we say, Lord, change me. Take it away. Take the world from me, give me Jesus. Take that sin from me and Christ is enough. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. And so what we do to stay out of the danger zone is we have a rhythm of repentance. And let me ask you, how often do we need to repent? Is once enough? I was in church once and I repented. Is weekly enough? This is a regular and a daily exercise to bring our sins, receive forgiveness, and say, Lord, help me. In fact, Martin Luther when writing the 95 Theses, uh, his first one was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Because the sad truth is that when someone isn't willing to say, I'm sorry, it leads to so much damage. Have you seen this in earthly relationships? When you have a friendship or coworkers, or when you have a marriage and one party decides, I'm never saying sorry again, it's pretty much the end. That person also it, sometimes is very mean. To avoid their shame, they will manipulate, they will place it all on someone else rather than them, all so that they never have to say, I'm sorry. Some of the worst behavior interaction is when someone says, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. It's even worse when we do this with God. Because when we stop saying I'm sorry to God, His grace doesn't just become common, it becomes unneeded. And now, um, because I don't want to face my shame, I also don't face my Savior and receive the peace and the hope that I could have otherwise received. It's so sad when someone is in impenitence. And so the rhythm again of repentance will lead you out and confessing your sins will purify you from all iniquity. But before we go, and I'm going to wrap up, how do we help someone else who might be in a struggle? What do we do if someone else is in a danger zone? You know, it kind of reminds me of what we do for our kids. If a kid is ever playing in the street and there is a car coming, what are you going to do? Watch out! Some of you might run to the street, uh, stop the car, hey! Might grab them in order to rescue them, right? And you do it all out of love, don't you? Do you know, if you are in Christ and if you're part of a Christian community, your other fellow Christians have been called to do the same out of love. But not from a holier-than-thou perspective. In fact, if you want to read Matthew 18, 
Matthew 18, it goes through and it says, um, first, if someone is sinning against you, go tell them and win them over by restoring them to the peace of God. If they don't listen, go bring someone else so that they might win, be won over and then be restored to the peace of God. If they don't listen to two people, tell it to the church so they may be won over and be restored to the peace of God because they're in a danger zone. And the capstone of that Matthew 18 is, is this uh, passage where it says, Truly, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We call this teaching the teaching of the keys. What, what can you do if you're a Christian? Based on this passage, we know a key will lock a door and it will open a door. And so God says, if someone is impenitent, you need to warn them. And you, you need to say it's locked. The sacrifice cannot cover what you do not repent of. It's bound. But you open the door to any repentant sinner. And to those who say, I, I need forgiveness, you say, you have it in Jesus. You have it. Jesus died specifically for that, and you can do that just as much as a pastor can do that. And when we do this, what's at stake? Sometimes eternity. Some of you might know the story of David. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, killed her husband, took her as his wife. Pretty bad. And if you think, by the way, you're beyond all hope, he was the man considered a man after God's own heart. And some believe that in that process, he was an unbeliever for a time. He was sure acting like it. Only God can judge the heart. But then the hero of the story is a man named Nathan. And Nathan came to David and he told this elaborate story. He said, David, I want you to judge something. There was a man who had a little ewe lamb. And he loved this lamb. It was the only lamb he had. And he loved it so much that it ate at the table. It's weird, but okay. Um, slept in his arms. And he considered this lamb to be his daughter. Wow, love that lamb. There's also a rich man. He had tons of sheep, many as he wanted. And this rich man had a traveler who came, and when the traveler came and he was preparing a meal, instead of preparing the meal from one of the lone lambs that he had, he took the poor man's one ewe lamb, slaughtered it, and gave it to his traveler. You want to know David's reaction? It was extreme. That man must die! <laughs> Whoa, the lamb. He must pay four times over for what he stole. And here's the turn. Nathan looks at David and says, you're the man. God knows what you've done. All the things you thought you were getting away with. All the things you kept hidden in the dark. You're the man. And David said, I've sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan said, the Lord has removed your sin. And you think of how beautiful that must have been. How good that must have felt. To be locked in the situation that was filled with so much guilt and shame in his heart of hearts. And to be released by Nathan who said, the Lord has forgiven your sin. David wrote about it, and, and this is what he then wrote. He, he said, 
And so blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. Uh, If you've ever been in a situation where you're pulled over by a police officer and you got a warning instead of a ticket, you you can, can, can maybe see how much superior is this moment where the God of all might and judgment says, but I release you because of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to pay a thing. And you're actually in this family now and forever because you stand in grace. Now, what if, dear friends, we were an Ethan to someone out of love to restore them to God? That might be the most significant work you ever do in this life. And it may be just the hardest, but I tell you, it will be good. And so from this word, what do we know about treating others? We love others by leading them to the Lord. Because what we have found in him are green pastures and still waters. And what we know know others need is those same green pastures and still waters. Now more than ever. Our goal is to restore and lead them into love with the Lord. May God so help us to do this great work.